From the sell side to the buy side, Wall Street's sphere of influence can put you on the outside looking in. This is where the Validus Growth Legacy and Investment Banking is your advantage. In a rapidly changing world, the markets move faster than ever. Finding future growth opportunities requires a focus on the factors that lead to meaningful inflection. We are your source for the best information on growth investing. This is the Growth Investing Podcast. All right, welcome back. Another episode. This is this is podcast episode two of the Growth Investing Podcast. Uh, I'm your host. I'm here, Johnny Dean, just your podcast host, but surrounded by people who really, really know what they're talking about. This is all thanks to the folks at Validus Growth Investing that we're going to be talking about here in just a little bit. Uh, if you recall from last week, we had a couple of uh, guests on, and we have one here, at least our, our returning champion, if I can say that, Jerry Murphy, uh, CEO at Validus uh, Growth Investing. That's the official name, right, Jerry? Yes, sir. Validus Growth mm-hmm. Investing. Well, mm-hmm. thank you for coming back. Nice to have you here. I know you're from out of town, so anytime we can snag you, we try to do that here uh, in the studio. Now, last week, we also had uh, uh, Mark Scalzo uh, uh, from Validus. Uh, In his place today, Mark will be with us again next week, uh, but uh, in his place today, we've got Zach Leeds, who is the assistant or an assistant portfolio manager there with Validus Growth Investing. Zach, hello. Hi, how are you doing? Thanks good, for having me. Good. Now I've known you for a long time as well. I mean, we yeah. worked in we worked on the same floor for a number of years and I saw you guys kind of nerding it out and doing your thing there with your with with the uh, investing, doing all kinds of things that I'm not normally used to. So, this will be a fun experience for me because I learn things not knowing so much about the what we're going to be talking about today, which is what's kind of the called the uh, is the carbon credit market or carbon. Uh, what do you call it? Yeah, I think we could just say carbon credits in general. Carbon credits. Okay, yeah. so we've I've heard about them, and I've been hearing about carbon credits for a number of years, probably. First time I heard that might have been even in the late 90s. I don't know yeah. when they first started talking about climate change and things like that. Can you just describe for people who are listening who have heard of it, but maybe don't know what a carbon credit is? Sure. So essentially governments um, will issue allowances to carbon emitters, think power plants, um, those types of companies that allow them to pollute, to put out carbon essentially into the air. So what these are essentially allowances that they can use to either pollute, give back to the government, surrender it, or sell it to other people that may be less efficient. So they're kind of like um, permission slips to pollute. Is that Yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's like, okay, we want to get a sense of who's polluting what. So we'll just issue everybody a lot of permits and then over time decrease those amount of permits. Um, so that's kind of like the general idea behind it. But that's exactly what it is. You get a permit to pollute one ton of carbon, you know, for every allowance. Kind of get out of polluting free pass, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what it, that's, that's what it sounded like to me. So these are issued generally from governments. Is that correct? That's correct. There are um, voluntary programs that are non-government, but the biggest programs in the world right now are all government-driven. Okay. So so a government will issue to a, is it mainly companies that get these or industries or? It'll uh, be uh, private companies that are getting these. So, um, you know, Tesla gets them for offsets. Power companies get them if they're using natural gas or coal or whatever they're yeah. using. Um, so anybody that is actively doing something industrially, um, releasing emissions will get these one way or another. So, you know, here in California, 
We have the California system, so the California cap and trade issues those. Northeast US, we have a regional um, system. And then in Europe, the um, European Union has their own trading emission system. So they go ahead and issue those to private companies there. Okay. And then yeah. you have some in Korea, I understand. And uh, Correct. You know, there, it's global. Korea would be a follow-up in terms of size being the next closest. Um, okay. Some of the small company or uh, countries in the world that do this would include like New Zealand. Um, but it's, it's a wide range. So now we mentioned the, the, we kind of said why they do this. You mm-hmm. said this, Zach, uh, but, but, but what's, what's, what's the goal with all of this to reduce completely the, uh, carbon, I guess they call it the carbon footprint, or obviously you want to do something about climate change. Right. So back in 2015, we had 196 companies sign the Paris Accords, and there they were really focused on greenhouse gas emissions and reducing that. Um, they had two goals. One was to reduce temperatures to two degrees Celsius um, above pre-industrial levels. So that okay. was their way of targeting that. And then um basically ensuring that financial markets provide a tailwind to that transition. Um, so those were like the real two big takeaways. So government said, okay, how do we scope this? How do we even understand what's out there? All right, if we go ahead and issue permits to people and we don't even charge them for those permits initially, that'll allow us just to know what's being polluted out there. And then once you have that, over time, the idea is to slowly reduce the amount of permits, forcing people to become more efficient and then the way you do that is through a market-based system. So you're putting a price on, you know, whatever unit you're using. And then mm-hmm. here, what they decided to do was use a ton of carbon emissions as the unit that they're measuring and pricing. One ton, which One is ton. a T-O-N-N-E. Correct. Mm-hmm. I guess is the British version. Ab- it doesn't mm-hmm. mean necessarily 2,000 pounds, but it's a, what they call a ton. Correct. And- the old empire is still out there, right? Exactly. <laughs> so what kind of what you're doing, I, it sounds to me like what they're doing is they're taking these CO2 emissions and they've turned the emissions into a commodity by giving it a correct a, a, a right. price, right? That's right? exactly mm-hmm. what they're doing. Okay, yep. okay. So, so uh, now you kind of said this, but how? Talk about how it's measured a little bit. How how they measure these? You you know they're done in in units of uh, a ton. Yeah. So the the technical term and the pricing and all that right is a carbon dioxide equivalent. So a ton of carbon dioxide equivalent. So TCO two. Okay. Um, Pricing is really varied. This is a nascent developing market. You have a lot of different uses, different, you know, Europeans are much more stringent about this type of thing. So you have, you know, roughly $70 a ton out there for pricing. California, which in the U.S. is traditionally viewed as more aggressive on emissions, you get about $29 a ton. And then you get to about $8 a ton out in South Korea, which would be one of the next, uh, you know, largest markets. Okay, so we talked about turning the emissions into a commodity. So obviously, this is where investors can get involved, right? Right. So, so, mm-hmm. so, how does this how does this connect with somebody who is an investor, and I, you know they've turned it into a commodity? How, how does this work from an investing standpoint? Um, and again, this is one of those things where all these different markets aren't connected, and there's a few different ways they can do it. Um, the two probably most common ways that we see people interacting with this is to buy futures on these. So they'll go to like ICE or CME and go buy futures, which, um, you know, they're leveraged products. Usually, you know, there's a time value to them. So they get pretty complex. And um, I think investors can get pretty lost just trying to understand what's out there. Not to mention for every single market, you have, you know, 
month out contracts. So during a year, you have 12 different contracts that you're trying to figure out who's using. It gets very complicated very quickly wow. if you don't know what you're doing. Right. Um, so that would probably be the closest pure play, right? Um, outside of that, you have ETFs. Exchange traded funds, which most people listening probably know that, but I thought Correct. I'd that It's in. like, yeah. so instead of, you know, accessing the S&P 500 or something mm -hmm. through an ETF, you can go ahead and get exposure to uh, carbon credits. Um, two of kind of the largest proxies that we look at are KRBN, which is a mm -hmm. global KRBN, carbon right. um, mm -hmm. ETF. KRBN. Okay. Correct. Um, and that one that's has... An ETF. That's an ETF. That has right. about $750 million in assets. So right. you, you can be sure that, you know, coming in, you can, you can buy it and not move this uh, instrument and be worried that if you have to go sell for whatever reason, you're going to have to take a discount or something when you leave. So we like you know, conceptually that idea. Yeah. Um, kind of the next closest in size would be the California version done by Crane Shares. That has about $211 million in assets. So it's also liquid, daily priced, traded. Um, you know, we've kind of looked at these as a cash alternative in some um, ways. Really? Really. Um, like, you know, there are times when they're correlated, times when they're not correlated with markets. And that's what we're always really looking for. Um, and I think it's just the nature of this market where everybody's trying to figure out what it costs and nobody really knows. So it tends to be, you know, less correlated than if you're just investing in bonds. You know, we, we talk about this, um, you know, in our, in our process and our approach, we talk about, um, infle inflection mm -hmm. and we've identified these five points of inflection and not to get into those too much, but this, you know, we talk about how this, um, you know, focuses in on, on, on the effects of behavior as, as an opportunity to perhaps see an inflection um, down the road. And so what would you say to that? I, again, I think this is just saying, taking our research process and trying to tell it to people, because that is the house view, is there are a lot of reasons why people should be looking at carbon credits. Mm -hmm. um, I'd say apart from governments wanting people to go there, and traditionally they'll provide some sort of support. Um, ESG, so environmental social governance standards, um, have become a big deal to a lot of people, not just you know retail investors, but we see institutions talking about this all the time. I was at a conference two weeks ago, and half the panels were talking about ESG yep, mandates. I remember that. How they even mm -hmm. invest in this? They're like we don't we don't know where to start. There's not enough markets and investors to deploy money to actually chase this. And this provides one of the ways where those ESG mandates can actually start to now invest and not be investing, you know, in like a $5 million solar uh, project that right. can actually go deploy capital at scale into these markets and help everybody just price carbon. Um, so that provides like a real tailwind, I think, to this market and just speaks to the fact that it's here to stay. It's not something that's an experiment. It's here that, you know, next 10, 15 years, Governments, companies, investors—they'll all be looking at carbon. Well, you, credit. you know, I was—we um, were talking about this. Um, I was with some family office guys, mm -hmm. and so I was with him, and he was on the phone. And he was looking at his phone, and he says, "We just bought some carbon credits," and he was learning at that moment that maybe the folks that he bought them from had sold those twice. Right, and you know that's a bit of a scare and a shock, and that's but it speaks to some inefficiencies. That, that you that if you don't know what you're doing, so you, you got to you're saying, yeah, yeah. Jerry, you got to be careful in in many respects. You have to know who in the, you're in the early with stages mm -hmm. of a of a market evolving, right? You you have some some that kind of risk, um, you know that that that's going to 
And that's an maybe not trustable. That's yeah. an institutional investor, right? That's a person yeah. that's yeah. doing a lot of research, trying to mm -hmm. really understand what they're trading, and yet it's very hard for even them to access this market. So, so these 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 carbon credits that are issued from the government to the the the, the companies, mm -hmm. it's kind of a, a vertically issued, right? Correct. Yep. But but they they're also uh, between companies. These can be can be bought and sold sort of horizontally. Correct. Yeah. So um, the idea was, you know, you get credits to the companies themselves that's yes. what the government issues yeah. it and then you want a secondary market trading so similar to like stocks you have of course the company issuing stock to investors now all the investors have it now you can let the investors trade the shares between themselves without the company getting involved and they can try to figure out what that company is worth and so the exact same parallel is happening with carbon uh, credits governments have issued them now companies and investors have these credits and now they're selling them to each other, trying to make sure that, you know, the efficiencies of a market allow us to really wrap our arms around what's going on in terms of emissions. So, mm -hmm. Okay, mm -hmm. so they'll, they'll issue it. I think you said like uh, uh, Europe is $71, mm -hmm. uh, California is 29 Obviously, there's some price disparities depending on the location and all that stuff. But how does somebody determine the value when it's being, you know, from company to company? Obviously, the price is going to have to change, right? Right. Is, which is how people buy and sell and make money. That's that's how commodities work. Right. And a lot of it would be, you know, this supply demand. Okay. So you have a set supply. Like any commodity. Like any much, commodity. Right? So the government says, all right, we're going to do, you know, for example, just pull a number out and say $100 billion worth of carbon credits, you know, yeah. um, issue that out. Next year, the goal would be to only have issue ninety billion dollars in carbon credits in order to reduce. In order to reduce of it, of course, that's but the whole goal. Right? In the meantime, to your point, you have these companies selling them to each other. So if one company realizes efficiencies technologically or process-wise, something like that, now they have extra carbon credits that they they can go sell to either somebody that isn't as efficient, um, and you know investors are going to see that, and that's kind of a signaling process that I think companies look at as a competitive advantage, right? We're sure. able to monetize this um, because we're just getting more efficient. And you always want your companies to be looking at efficiencies. If it's margin, operations, whatever it is, we're always looking for that. So this is just a, also another way where investors can even look at companies yeah. and how they're fundamentally doing. Um, and then apart from other companies that aren't as efficient and need to buy these, you have investors who want to come in and they understand that there's a time value of money here, right, at play. There's a supply demand. Sure. Why shouldn't, you know, taxpayers that are investing that are backing this product one way or another also be able to benefit from it? You know, a focus on alternatives like we do, mm -hmm. you're really looking for low correlating asset classes yep. to diversify portfolios. Yeah, to, that's the whole point. You know, really. and, and, and this is, a, this is an asset class that has some interesting um, characteristics. And well, comes because of that, we've been able, like, like I said, we looked at it partially as a cash alternative. It was mm -hmm. something that we were able to buy and sell um, where when we needed liquidity, it was doing a little bit better than the market. So if we had just used, a, you know, a traditional um, money market fund or fixed income sort of focused product, mm -hmm. it would have been a drag on the portfolio. And this was able to provide a tailwind. Now we don't have a ton of time left, but sure. but how would this uh, how would carbon credit commodity market, let's call it that, mm -hmm. uh, differ from any of the other commodity markets that are out there? Um, 
What's the, why would somebody want to consider, like if I'm an advisor, why would I consider, you know, telling some potential clients, how, you know, how would I tell them that this is a good thing? I think one of the big, one of the big things that you could look at is like, if we take oil, there's a lot of headwinds to oil. Um, you have a perception that it's not good for the planet, right? Like that we need to switch away immediately, even though it'll be here long term. Um, that it's basically something in the past, right? It's a commodity of the past. This is essentially a commodity of the future, and we see it because governments want it and are trying to move people there. Private companies want it and are trying to move people there. Um, you know, investors are trying to participate. There's in these mandates, like I'm talking about institutional investors, when they put money to work in something like this, they're looking 10 to 15 years on a private fund's life. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and that's getting extended even. Yeah. So you have very long tailwinds here for this that a lot of other commodities that are just used um, just really don't have available to them. So it provides kind of an asymmetric, the way we like to think of it, there's there's an asymmetric benefit to this asset class that makes it really interesting compared to something like um, oil or copper or something like that. Yeah, you know, and, and I think for, you know, financial professionals and investors out there, the world is, is changing and to fit this type of stuff into your portfolio, yeah. you know, more and more uh, companies like ours uh, provide that expertise and can help help people do that. And at the end of the day, it's really difficult to, to, to get this kind of level of knowledge and understanding, even with my example of the family office guy, which mm-hmm. he, oh, yeah. he's at a much higher level, but even him, if you're not really working in this type of stuff like we do, all day long, um, it's easy to miss something. How can they? Uh, how can folks get in touch with you guys? What's well, the best way to do that? Go to valdus.com. V a l i d u s dot com. I'm sorry, valdusgrowth.com. Uh, okay, yeah, valdusgrowth.com. Valdus yes, yeah. valdusgrowth. Yeah, yeah, and um, uh, you sign can, up. We have yeah. you know contact us. We have mm-hmm. newsletters. Yeah, so we the have blogs. Are the like we're way. out there really yeah. trying to talk to people. Yeah. Definitely easiest. They can always call us or email us. And right, all that and, right, and, on there. and again, we manage a, a number of different portfolios. Um, we have a, a, a closed-in fund that's that that's doing very well, and we also deliver different types of research and OCIS ser- services to um, wide range of stuff. Different yeah. different groups. Well, that's mm-hmm. good. So carbon credits, uh, low correlation mm-hmm. typically, mm-hmm. and uh, it's got, you would think, a future, right? We definitely <laughs> believe it, yeah. <laughs> I would say so, <laughs> probably more than oil. I'm not making any predictions or anything like that, but that's kind of the way you're looking at it. And uh, Absolutely, yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, we're out of time. My thanks to our, our, our panel here from Validus Growth <laughs> Investing, uh, Jerry Murphy, CEO. I'm not sure if we'll see you next week. We'll, we'll probably rotate you yep, and, yep, and, and yep. Mark Scalzo. But anyway, we're going to have you on back again. Zach uh, Leeds, who is the uh, Assistant Portfolio Manager there at uh, Validus Growth. And uh, I believe next week Mark will be back. And I think that we're scheduled to talk about uh, small cap investing. That's right. right. So make sure Mm -hmm. you tune in to the next uh, podcast. For these guys, I'm your podcast host, Johnny Dean. Thanks so much for listening. And we'll talk to you again on the next program. Validus Growth Investors, LLC, seeks to invest in companies at every stage of their growth. From startups to publicly traded companies, our research identifies inflection points that have the potential to produce meaningful growth and income for the clients we serve. Investment advisory services are offered through Validus Growth Investors, LLC. Validus, an SEC-registered investment advisor. No offer is made to buy or sell any security or investment product. This is not a solicitation to invest in any security or any investment product of Validus. Validus does not provide tax or legal advice. Consult with your tax advisor or attorney regarding specific situations. Intended for educational 
informational purposes only and not intended as individualized advice or a guarantee that you will achieve a desired result. Opinions expressed are subject to change without notice. Investing involves risk, including the potential loss of principal. No investment can guarantee a profit or protect against loss in periods of declining value. All information is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. Opinions and projections are as of the date of their first inclusion herein and are subject to change without notice to the listener. As with any analysis of economic and market data, it is important to remember that past performance is no guarantee of future results. Information presented on this program is believed to be factual and up-to-date, but we do not guarantee its accuracy and it should not be regarded as a complete analysis of the subjects discussed. Discussions and answers to questions do not involve the rendering of personalized investment advice, but are limited to the dissemination of general information. A professional advisor should be consulted before implementing any of the options presented.